Good morning. Welcome. It's Easter and we celebrate our Lord has risen. He is risen and you say he is risen indeed. He is risen? Yes, I heard that. He is risen indeed. Welcome to this Easter celebration. The music and the fellowship, the connectedness we have over this moment of celebration transcends any other celebration, more than we could ever imagine, this day represents life, life eternal, and that which Jesus has accomplished so that you and I can walk with God and know him and become sons and daughters of God and live forever. Oh, the abundant life and the eternal life certainly becomes God's gift to those who trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the empty grave, and we praise God for this moment of celebration. The, the vernal equinox has happened. The calendar has moved. We have processed calendrically to this point, and now we are at Easter. We've come through Holy Week and the varied emotions and, and, and celebrations and thoughts that have guided us through the passion of our Lord now finds us at this moment of celebrating the resurrection. I've shared this story with you before. A, a young Muslim student who converted to Christianity was asked by his friends, what caused this? How can you explain this? How did such a decision develop in your life? And he simply replied, and I love this anecdotal but very clearly expressed answer. The young Muslim student converted to Christianity said, well, imagine you're walking down a road and the road forks and there's a a man in the road given directions. And there's another person given directions. One's dead and one's alive. <laughs> Who will you likely listen to the most? I love that expression. Jesus is alive. We're not responding to someone who lived and died and is no longer. Our Savior is alive, historically proven, spiritually proven, proven in our hearts. He's alive. And we celebrate his resurrection. The last time we were together in God's word, our focus was upon Mark chapter 14 and 15, where we looked at the first section of the death and resurrection, journey to the cross. Now we're in part two of this final passion narrative of the Mark gospel, uh, where we focus upon the resurrection. Early on, I shared with you from historian Paul Vane that even as a historian who did not believe in, in, in Jesus, wrote so emphatically about the power and the impact of the cross. Now I turn to uh, atheist philosopher Luke Ferry, author of the best-selling book, A Brief History of Thought, and he, he credits Christianity with creating the idea that people have dignity. And for him, this idea is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> so I find this amazing, this atheistic philosopher writes, the entire story of the Christian message resides in good news of literal immortality. Resurrection, in other words, is not merely a change of the souls, but the individual bodies resurrecting as well. So from last week, this historian who did not believe in Jesus to now this atheistic philosopher, they recognize that the death and resurrection are real. And are true. Now we know this, but the world also has confessed this must be true. And so I pray that your faith is in Jesus. I pray that your faith becomes encouraged by the story 
of the resurrection. And last time we were together, we took steps to the cross. For this brief moment, as we conclude the story of Jesus found in the Gospel of Mark, today we take steps beyond the tomb. We're in Mark chapter 16. We begin at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, meaning that day between the crucifixion and the resurrection, when the Sabbath was over, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, they brought spices along with Mary Magdalene so that they might come and anoint his body. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Verse 4, looking up, looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. I'd like to encourage you as we've walked through the scriptures all the way through the life of Jesus, all the way to the cross, I now ask you to walk to the resurrection, but also beyond the tomb. Because his resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord brings life. And we need to discover how to walk beyond the story to live in that resurrected life. So the first step beyond the tomb would be to walk beyond. How do we walk beyond? We walk beyond by not getting caught in in the past. Now I'm certain that the ladies who approached the tomb on that morning were not intentionally held to the past. But what had happened three days earlier was the only reality that they knew and the only reality that had held them and perhaps for many of us, like these women coming to the tomb, held in the reality of the dark crucifixion day, maybe you and I at times in our lives are held captive by some darkness and death, spiritually speaking or literally speaking, in the past. And we need to learn to walk beyond that reality to what has been accomplished on resurrection morning. Notice in verse 2, they came to the tomb just as the sun was rising. Well, Luke's narrative, Luke chapter 23, verse 56 reminds us that they had to wait to the completion of the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath actually started Friday evening at 6 p.m. if we're looking at the watches of the Jewish calendar correctly. And so there was no time to rightly bury the body of their Lord. And so some of the spices that were being offered after the Sabbath, meaning in our calendar on Sunday morning, they brought those spices not for purposes of preservation. Jewish bodies were not uh, embalmed. But the spices were brought just to help with the decomposition and to bring a fragrance, to bring a respectful adoration to the body of their Lord. But when they came to the tomb, they looked up and noticed the stone was rolled away. Today, I ask you on Easter Sunday, on this grand resurrection morning, to walk beyond the darkness of what has held you, to move beyond a reality that can be associated with sin and death, and to look up, not looking down with regret. The women came to the tomb that day looking down. When they arrived and looked up, they saw the stone rolled away. They had been looking down, uh, symbolically speaking, at what had happened. But now there's a new day. Christ Jesus, our Lord, has accomplished something. 
that is transformative and transcendent. But sometimes we walk with our heads looking down in regret or at the past. And we become subdued with a reality that's old. Jesus is alive. When they arrived to the tomb, he had already resurrected. The stone was moved. The tomb empty. I feel sometimes we, we can walk with a, with an old reality. There are times when even good Christians trust in the forgiveness of Jesus, but they walk in regret. That's an old reality. That reality is past. Here come these beautiful hearts of faith to give tribute and honor to their Lord's body, only to discover that the reality they have been living in was about to abruptly change to a beautiful story of life. They no longer needed to prepare to honor his body. They needed to worship the risen Savior. And so they needed to walk beyond the reality of yesterday. I encourage you to do this. Walk beyond what has held you. The cross, the darkness that overcame the world, symbolizing the death of Jesus so that there would be the, uh, the appropriate sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin. That has been accomplished. You can trust Jesus. You can receive his forgiveness. You need not walk in an old reality. The legalism of the law, yes, an old reality. Trying to be made right, an old reality. According to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus became a curse for us, redeeming us from the curse of the law. That's the old reality, the curse of the law. We've been redeemed from the condemnation that our failures can bring. That's the old narrative. That becomes the old reality. The women walked to the tomb that day. They looked up. The stone was rolled away. A new reality had taken place, the resurrection. So before we move to the end of the story, ask yourself, am I walking beyond what Jesus has already conquered? Or am I still living in the old reality under the condemnation of sin with regrets, with guilt? Oh, move past, walk beyond. Secondly, don't just walk beyond, but now let's read verse five and six. And I encourage you to walk in. Yes, walk beyond the darkness of Friday. You've made it through Saturday. Now it's resurrection morning. You're at the empty tomb. I encourage you to walk all the way in. Walk beyond the darkness of Friday. Now walk in to the tomb. And we mean this metaphorically by walking in to the reality of what has been accomplished in the empty grave or because of the empty grave. Verse five and six, this is what we read. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe and they were amazed. They were astonished. And he said, do not be amazed. Translated, do not fear. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who's been crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. Now, the other gospels in compliment uh, announced that there was an earthquake. And there was an angel with immense light. And all of that becomes referenced here indirectly because Mark's purpose was to move quickly in the narrative to the response to the empty tomb. But we know from the harmony of the other gospels that there was a significant earthquake. God himself reached down and rolled away the stone. The angel sat upon the stone and in the radiance of heaven itself came this announcement. He's not here. Come see the place where he has 
laid. What an encounter. Come see. Now, notice the imperatives. I'll give you three imperatives. Do not be afraid. He is not here. Come and see. Actually, there are two parages, but they're linked together as three commands. Do not be afraid. He's not here giving the imperative or the command. Look and then come and see. Come inside. Do not be afraid. The word for afraid here is actually expressed in the Greek term astonished. The word we derive phobia or fear is not what we find in the text of Mark 16. Rather, the word indicates an astonishment. And so although the astonishment is fully understood, the angel seems to say, do not simply stand there astonished, respond. Do not be overwhelmed only, but there are two other steps you need to take. So do not be afraid. Do not be caught. Do not be stuck in your astonishment. Do not be caught in the optics of the miracle. There's something to be experienced further than just what you're seeing from the outside of the tomb. Do not be afraid, imperative number one. Come and see that he's not here. He's not here. Look, something has changed in the third command. Come in and see. Don't be afraid. Don't become stuck in your astonishment. Look and see that he's not here. Heaven announces today that the cross was not the end. It completed his ministry to give a brand new beginning. Look, he's not here. And then third, come and see. Don't be afraid. He's not here. Come and see. These reference the three imperatives of our responsiveness to the empty tomb that allows us to walk in to see. Now, I use this phrase, walk in, to indicate our embrace of the finality of the fact. The tomb is empty. Jesus has accomplished all that needed to be accomplished in his death. And he rose again. <laughs> he, he who descended has ascended or will ascend from this historical point of view. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's announced to all redemption is final. And the tomb is empty. And we can see the finality of what Christ came to accomplish. What I love about the resurrection story becomes the announcement that all has been fully done and given for us. Now, Jesus announced the finality on the cross when he said it's finished and Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But the empty grave proved that what he has accomplished is now accessible to us. We can have life. It's completed. The tomb is empty. Death has been conquered. Sin has been conquered. We are not waiting to conquer death and sin with Christ because of the cross and the empty grave. It has been conquered. All that we are called to do is to respond by faith to what he has already accomplished for our eternal and abundant life. Trusting Jesus by receiving in faith what he has accomplished becomes our only right response to the story. Trusting him and saying, Jesus, I receive by faith your death and resurrection, what you've accomplished. And here we are invited to walk in. I have a question. The question is simple. 
What would there be if there were no resurrection? Can we look at this with an uh, inversion? What would there be if there were no resurrection? Well, I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul presents the power of the resurrection. And in fact, Paul says in verse 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, For what I have delivered to you as of first importance is what I received. Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures, and he was buried and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul said, what I have delivered to you as of first importance. Some indicate that this is Paul's order of teaching. This was the first in the order of what he taught. Others think that it indicates this is the highest value. I obviously believe both. Paul proclaimed the death and resurrection of our Lord, and this becomes the highest proclamation. Paul said, I give to you first, of first importance, Christ died and he rose again on the third day. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 moves into teaching with this inversion. What would have happened if there were no bodily resurrection, if there were no resurrection of our Lord? Now, Paul emphasizes the actual reality of a bodily resurrection of believers because many in the first church did not embrace this. But from that teaching, from that uh, argument, if you will, Paul emphasizes the significance of the resurrection with an inversion. What would it be if there were no resurrection? And notice what Paul has said here. If there were no resurrection, this is from 1 Corinthians 15. If there were no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. A first consequence of, of someone rejecting the resurrection would be useless preaching. If there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless. Why? Because of first importance comes the emphasis of the resurrection. That becomes the cornerstone, Jesus himself, as the foundation of all the gospel and all the scripture. If there is no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. So one consequence of a dismissed resurrection, of not believing the resurrection, is useless preaching. Second, a false witness, because 1 Corinthians 15 announces if there is no resurrection, then, then there are no witnesses. Our, our witnessing is found to be false. And you see this here in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless and our witnesses are false. Because what Paul witnessed to was the fullness of Christ. We do not serve a dead Savior. Jesus did not die, and that became the end of the story. Absolutely not. He's resurrected. We're witnesses to this. I echo with Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. And this becomes an amazing impact from 1 Corinthians 15. If there were no resurrection, our preaching is useless, our our witness is false. But look at a third consequence if there is no resurrection. Straight from 1 Corinthians 15. Our faith is futile. Now we know Romans 5.1 tells us we're justified by faith through his resurrection. So if there is no resurrection, there's no faith. Our faith is futile. Our faith is dead. What are you believing in if you're not believing in a resurrected Savior? You can only believe in what is dead. And so if there is no resurrection, our faith is futile. And then from 1 Corinthians 15, a final consequence if there is no resurrection, we are still living in our sin. This is straight from the scriptures. If there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless and in vain. We are, we are 
false witnesses. Our witness is, is in vain. Our faith is futile. And we're still living in sin. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 reminds us that we have been redeemed from sin through the resurrection of our Lord. If there is no resurrection, we're still in our sins. Just as if there, just as if there is no resurrection, we have no real faith. So if there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless, our witness is false, our faith is futile, we're still living in sin. But there is a resurrection, so sin has been overcome, our faith is alive, our witness is accurate, and the preaching is true. He's resurrected. So we must walk in, not only beyond the darkness of Friday, but into the tomb to see that he's not here, this is real, this has happened, he's alive. And then we come to a final step from the tomb. We've walked past the darkness of Friday. We've walked beyond. We've walked into the tomb. And now we walk forward. Now I focus on verse 7 and 8. Verses 9 through 20 will have some significance before we close. But I focus primarily at this point on verse 7 and verse 8. Jesus said, he's, or the angel said, he's not here. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. I love that the angel included Peter because Peter had denied him three times, denying our Lord. I can imagine Peter probably processing. If Jesus is calling us to Galilee, if he truly is alive and he's calling us, I'm sure he doesn't mean me. I've, I've denied him three times. The angel singled out Peter to make certain Peter knew all of that is in the past. Come see the resurrection. Come see our Lord. And so the angel said, you go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you. You will meet him in Galilee. Then verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb. They were trembling and astonished. And they said, they, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So most uh, ancient manuscripts have Mark ending at verse 8. Most scholarship believes that verses 9 through 20 was not written by Mark, but most of the later translations do have these final verses that describe a responsiveness to the resurrection. And so I just want to outline these verses for you. Most of your translations will have a little inclusion saying that they're not in most of the ancient manuscripts, but nonetheless, they were brought in later. And whether they have Mark and uh, authorship or not, and most scholarship believes this would not was not written by Mark, but added later, there is still the expression of a responsiveness to our Lord. So from verses 9 through 20, 9 through 11 references Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, also recorded in Luke 24 and John 20. And in verses 12 through 13, Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road, also referenced in Luke 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In verses 14 through 18, Jesus appeared to the 11, referencing Luke 24 and Matthew 28. And then 19 through 20, there is reference to the ascension and other activity. And, and there's that bewildering verse of, of drinking poison and picking up serpents. There's no other verse in the entire Canaanite scripture that indicates picking up serpents references some expression of faith. And yet there have been large systems of religious activity built upon that one verse. We need to be careful not to do that. So the emphasis here is likely indicating the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of the disciples as they're sent out, referenced certainly in the first and second chapter of Acts. But here, the story concludes. 
with Jesus resurrected. The story concludes with power that became vested in the disciples, eventually leading to Pentecost and to the birth of the church, all because Jesus walked out of that tomb. And as we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and as we see again and again the movement of Jesus with his disciples from the very beginning till now, we see in verse 19 and 20. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. He reigns forever. This is our Lord now. Verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Oh, what a magnificent ending to the story of Jesus. Walk forward. Don't just walk past the darkness of Friday. Don't just walk into the tomb, but walk forward in response by faith to Jesus Christ and who he is as the risen son of God. Yes, from the from chapter one following, people were amazed at his wisdom and at his power. And you've seen this displayed throughout Mark's gospel. And now the tomb is empty. Christ has risen. And Mark, the narrative of the gospel of Mark, closes with a significant question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the story of Jesus? You've seen it in so many details in these last 11 weeks. What will you do? Will you continue in your path of religious activity, ignoring the needs spiritually that are in your heart? Will you continue to pass off the gospel of Jesus as just another story about a system of faith? Will you continue to ignore the pain that you know you feel when you can't deal with sin or the disappointments and the uncertainties in this world? Or will you see Jesus for who he is? Will you see him in his ministry, his love, his death and his resurrection, bringing life to you if you'll but trust him? Or will you stay indifferent? Will you pass off this story of the gospel because someone who claims Christian faith has disappointed you, or you, you feel cold against the church. What is there in your heart keeping you from responding fully to Jesus and moving forward in your faith? See Jesus, this is Jesus. Respond to him by faith. He is alive. He is alive forevermore. Walk beyond the darkness of Friday and the crucifixion, walk into the empty tomb, see the finality of what he's done, and walk forward, living in response to our resurrected Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for leading us in this time of worship and, and in the study of your precious word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. We've concluded this grand study today, and our faith is energized to go forward, not to become complacent or atrophied spiritually or, or indifferent, but excited and exuberantly saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead. Oh, Father, help us to respond to Jesus and to celebrate the empty tomb and to follow the resurrected Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Hey, there's a website location. Reach out. We would correspond. We would love to correspond with you and lead you into what it means to truly know and to trust Jesus. You can pray, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. I give my life to you. 
Please forgive me of my sin. I trust you and I follow you. You can pray that prayer. He'll hear you. He'll, he'll save you. Oh, please respond to him today and reach out to that website. Let us know uh, that, that, that you have prayed and trusted Jesus. We want to walk with you and encourage you. Thank you so much for being a part of this study, for being a part of this broadcast. Thank you for being part of this online experience. I love you a lot. Walk in faith in Jesus and move forward. Love you a lot. God bless. Thank you.